I know I love pizza, but I don't know if it would say the same about me. The relationship Ingrid Kosar has with pizza, though, that's more of a two-way street. I like any pizza. Pizzas have been good to me. (laughs) Ingrid grew up in Des Plaines, Illinois, and was around for the early days of pizza delivery. Back in the 60s and 70s, drivers had to get creative to keep the pizza warm, especially in those cold Midwestern winters where Ingrid lived. And that included transporting pizzas in these big plastic containers. And they would have a flame in the bottom of them. And they had a lot of car fires. And uh, they had electric ones that would short out. And then the, the cheapest way was just put your pizzas, wrap them in a blanket. But that's how they delivered pizza. That sounds so cozy. Pizza in a blanket. Yeah, but I think you're also kind of glossing over the whole, like, car fire thing. Like, oh yeah, I wanted, I wanted <laughs> to too. kind of get an idea of, like, huh, that sounds a little, that sounds like a little, little out there. So, you know how one of my favorite websites is newspapers.com? Um, yes, you nerd. I want to read you, Ruth, this headline from the Norman Transcript in October of 1962. Headline. Oven starts blaze in delivery truck. A butane oven in a pizza delivery truck set fire to the truck late Tuesday night at General Jack's Pizza. The rear of the truck was gutted, firemen said. Wait, was anybody hurt, though? Doesn't say. Yikes. And uh, the Norman transcript only reports what they know. (laughs) You can't have pizza, I guess, without possible death. So I thought I I could... I could make something that'll work much better and safer. (laughs) Enter the insulated pizza delivery bag. That big thing with the Velcro known to pizza delivery people and pizza fans everywhere. Ingrid invented that. I'm not exactly, you know, a rocket scientist or anything, but I'm, I'm proud that I did that. And I think it's helped a lot of people. She's pretty humble about the whole thing, but probably more than she needs to be. Before selling her business and retiring, Ingrid and her business partner had sold pizza delivery bags to big pizza companies like Domino's. And it's hard to overstate how critical Ingrid's pizza bag was to the history of pizza delivery. It kept the pizza above 140 degrees for food safety, making it possible to move pizzas longer distances to hungry customers. The pizza bag was an innovation that carried pizza from literal car fires to where we are today. Hey Google, talk to Domino's. Hi, this is Dom, Domino's ordering assistant bot. Would you like to place an order or track an order? Place an order. Awesome. I'm Patrick Fort. And I'm Ruth Tam. This is Dish City. We tell stories about food to understand where we live. This season, we're talking about delivery. So far, we've talked about the earliest origins of food delivery. The very wealthy sending their servants to pick up their dinner. And we've talked about how delivery helped cement American Chinese food into American culture. And today, I'm ordering pizza with a smart speaker. Or at least trying. Place the order. Hmm, sorry I couldn't hear you. On this episode, how big pizza companies developed the technology that paved the way for today's delivery powerhouses like DoorDash and Grubhub.
Okay, Ruth, before we fully dive in, we have to do a little bit of pizzeria taxonomy. (laughs) Of course we do. Okay, so here's what I think. I think there are two different types of pizzerias. There's the big national chains like Domino's and Pizza Hut and Papa John's. And then there's these smaller like mom and pop businesses. Maybe they have a few locations or something, but they're not the giant pizza monoliths or as I like to call them, big pizza. And to tell the story of pizza's delivery takeover, we have to set aside the smaller mom-and-pop pizzerias for a second. Aw. They'll come back, I promise. But until about 10 years ago, those smaller companies stayed more or less the same. Meanwhile, Big Pizza does a lot of innovating and inventing. I'm not entirely sure that the oven and the car thing worked that well for them. Carol Helstosky is a history professor at the University of Denver and the author of Pizza, a Global History. Carol divides pizza into two different camps, just like I do. She usually calls big pizza fast food pizza or the pizza chains. And for these companies... Delivery was crucial uh, because their entire operation was set up to be able to deliver right hot, fresh pizzas to waiting customers. Marketing for pizza at that time was all about scale and efficiency. Pizza Hut. We serve more pizza than anyone else in the world. For hot, friendly, fast delivery, call Domino's Pizza. Check your yellow pages directory for the Domino's Pizza store near you. (laughs) Hot and friendly? That sounds like an ad for something else. (laughs) Just saying. I tried to get the story straight from Big Pizza to hear about how important delivery was to their success, but these companies wouldn't agree to an interview with me. But from the beginning, it was clear that Domino's and Pizza Hut in particular were making choices that prioritized efficiency, not necessarily the pizza itself. Domino's and Pizza Hut started around the same time. They're born in the Midwest, which is maybe not where we expect them to start. Um, And they grow up around universities and military bases. If you have a military base, if you have a university, you have quite a number of people, many of whom don't have cars, actually, and don't have a lot of money. Um, So you produce a lot of pizza, you produce it quickly, and you produce it cheaply, and you bring it to the consumer. Um, And that, that formula really seemed to work well for them. That makes sense to me. If you shrink the distance from the pizza shop to their most likely customers, it's the easiest way to guarantee hot pizza and quick delivery. Exactly. The next step Big Pizza took was then to reinvent the pizza oven. The pizza ovens were metal. They had, um, uh, you know, revolving racks or shelves um, where the pizzas could be cooked evenly and quickly. And then uh, you you would have several of those really large ovens because that was, you know, I, I think up until the 80s that that was all they produced was was pizza. For decades, you could only order two different sizes of pizza at Domino's, and there were exactly 11 choices for toppings. These days, Domino's offers five types of crusts and three sizes and more than two dozen things to put on top of your pizza. This is all to say that in the beginning, big pizza companies really simplified their menu to streamline ordering, which is something you can do with pizza. They also turned toward frozen cheese and dough, and this meant less equipment in their kitchens and faster pizza prep times. 
And then there was the actual get the food to the customer part of delivery. Domino's really pushed this angle. At one point, selling delivery with a promise. 30 minutes or it's free. Call now and we'll deliver a hot, delicious, custom-made pizza to you in less than 30 minutes. One call does it all. Domino's intention was to get you um, as, as much pizza as you could afford as quickly as possible. This was a pretty flashy and memorable promise, uh, so much so that it became part of pop culture, like it was in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. You're two minutes late, dude. Ah, come on. I couldn't find a place. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. I gotta get a new route. But in real life, this pizza promise, 30 minutes or it's free, didn't work out so well. Car accidents happened, and several lawsuits later, Domino's canceled the promotion, at least in the U.S. But Big Pizza found new ways to innovate, including a certain pizza delivery bag, which showed up around 1985. The first one was just a, you know, pretty simple, just a square insulated bag with a handle. That's Ingrid Kosar again, inventor of the insulated pizza delivery bag. Actually, it was quite nice. It was a really good bag. Too much Velcro. They want to be able to zip that pizza out of there real quick. And uh, they didn't want to struggle opening too much Velcro. Ingrid's first bags were sent out to delivery people everywhere around 1985. Okay, so we went from ovens and cars in the 60s to special pizza bags in the 80s? The first big contract Ingrid and her business partner landed was with the U.S. Army and Air Force. Pizza shops on military bases would use Ingrid's bags to deliver pizzas. But that was only the beginning of Ingrid's relationship with Big Pizza. It was around 1999, and they were coming out with the heat wave bag. What's the hottest thing to happen to pizza? The new Domino's heat wave. It works like a portable oven, delivering a pizza that's really hot, really bubbly, and really worth smiling about. Now a large with up to three toppings is just $9.99. That's what I look for in my pizza. Pizza that's really bubbly and worth smiling about. You smile when we give you the pizza. Uh, it's funny because they're hearkening back to how pizza was originally delivered. Like they're saying, like it's like an oven in your car. Well, yeah. Let me let me tell you a little bit about what this heatwave bag was. Like Domino's wanted to create a bag that actively warmed pizzas during delivery. And that meant they were experimenting with heating elements like tucked inside of the bag. But the plastic discs that they were using to keep the pizzas warm were literally melting the bags they were using. So they called Ingrid. You know, I helped them develop that. And it was a great, it was a great order. I know that the Domino's order was 90,000 bags, which was a lot of bags. It was a great, great time for us. 90,000 bags? Clutch deal, Ingrid. And remember, Ingrid had already solved the keep pizzas hot issue, holding them above 140 degrees or whatever for food safety. The heat wave bag is just Ingrid's next take on keeping pizza even hotter. So while I'm not sure that the heat wave bag was necessary for pizza delivery, it was a pretty genius marketing strategy for Domino's. The interesting thing to me is that by the 80s, Big Pizza has made it super easy to call for a pizza to be delivered to your house, just about anywhere. And we haven't even talked about computers or the internet yet. 
Wait, was the first online order ever for pizza? Is that what you're about to tell me? Funny you should ask that, Ruth, because after the break, Big Pizza goes online. So the year is 1994. It's the time of Bill Clinton, Tanya Harding, and the Shawshank Redemption. And it's also the time that a mysterious website called PizzaNet showed up. And Ruth, I actually just sent this to you in the chat. And I, I kind of want you to, like, see what's going on on PizzaNet and let me know what you think of it. All right. Clicking on the link. Oh, whoa. <laughs> this is really retro. Everything... <laughs> There's only three colors on this webpage. It's uh, a lot of gray, black and white. It's very unglamorous. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've been transported back through time. Like I'm, I feel like in my elementary school library when I remember websites looking like this on the first computers that I ever encountered. What you're looking at, Ruth, is one of the first ever places where you could buy something online. Users could type in their address and get a hot, fresh pizza delivered to them, at least in the California test market where this was going on. But who, you might be asking, was behind this? If you guessed Big Pizza, you are correct. PizzaNet was the first foray into online pizza ordering and delivery. And it was a partnership between Pizza Hut and a California tech company. And little did anyone know, or maybe Pizza Hut knew, that the pizza industry and the rest of the food industry would be changed forever. Pizza Hut rolled out their nationwide online ordering platform in 2001. Six years later, Domino's launched their own full-scale online delivery platform. And it's definitely paid off for Big Pizza. In a section of their website literally called Fun Facts, Domino's says almost three quarters of their sales last year came from digital orders, like the one on my smart speaker that you heard at the beginning of the episode. We had come so far. First, we had flaming delivery cars. Then we had Ingrid's delivery bag. Computerization came to pizza kitchens to make cooking even more efficient. You could get a pizza delivered to your door with just a few clicks of a mouse. And this was years before widespread use of third-party platforms like Uber Eats and DoorDash. I think we imagine the big delivery platforms like DoorDash or Grubhub as the like pioneers of food delivery technology, but I think they got tons of inspiration from companies like Domino's, who use technology to streamline their workflows. In fact, the CEO and one of the co-founders of DoorDash, Tony Hsu, said so on the podcast, How I Built This. <laughs> so you were students at Stanford Graduate School of Business, but you also had these like part-time gigs working as drivers for FedEx and Domino's just to really to learn about how this works. We were just trying to figure out how delivery works because none of yeah. us you know, necessarily had a background you know, in logistics. And, yeah. and so we learned a couple of... The pizza industry was a wealth of inspiration for tech companies. Before I became an international pizza consultant, I had a job interview. It was like a Silicon Valley kind of tech people, uh, and they were going to disrupt pizza with robots. This is Anthony Falco, an international pizza consultant and longtime friend of Dish City. You may remember him from our episode on Jumbo Slice. Anthony's the author of a cookbook called Pizza Czar. You know, I'm in the Pizza Czar headquarters right now, world headquarters. 
and also known as my apartment in Brooklyn. But back to Anthony's story. He was in a job interview with those Silicon Valley types and he was confused. It sounds like a good idea. Like, okay, on paper, I'm a tech bro, right? Like, give me $2 billion to disrupt pizza by having it made with robots and I'll save a bunch of money on labor. Um, you know, we'll, we'll revolutionize the industry. And it's like, okay. But maybe they didn't do uh, as much research as they should have because pizzas have been made by robots for the last 50 years. You know, it's called a frozen pizza. Um, and the quality of a frozen pizza is as good as a robot can make a pizza, you know, today. Technology and pizza, at least in Anthony's opinion, have been intertwined for a long, long time. So when the tech bros were trying to disrupt pizza, they clearly weren't aware of just how high tech making a pizza had become. Making pizza by robot? It was merely imitating what big pizza had been doing for decades. For pizza, the next frontier was not robots. It was smartphones. A company like Domino's is really a tech tech company um, that makes pizza. I mean, they have a really, uh, their app is very sophisticated. Each store has, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of technology to manage and, and, you know, kind of make sure these deliveries go out to the right customers and stuff like that. And so, you know, that's one of the big reasons why their stock performs so well. To be clear, Domino's being a tech company isn't some like unique Anthony Falco idea. In one of the company's recent financial overviews, Domino's itself wrote, and we quote, technological innovation is vital to our brand and our long-term success. The overview goes on to talk about how digital ordering is critical to competing in the global pizza industry. For Domino's and Pizza Hut, taking delivery online and developing an app were just the next steps. Meanwhile, you have other companies busting into online ordering and food delivery, Seamless in 1999 and Grubhub in 2004. We'll be talking more about the advent of the third-party delivery platform in our next episode. But for pizza, there's one app in particular that I want to talk about, because it invites mom-and-pop pizza shops to re-enter the picture. I actually come from three generations of small business owners in the pizza industry. That's Ilir Salah. In 2010, he founded Slice, a food ordering app specifically for pizza restaurants. Ilir saw his relatives juggle taking orders by phone, do most of their marketing using flyers or word of mouth, and he decided that applying some lessons from big pizza technology could help small businesses. The gap is really all digital. And so technology is enabling Domino's to become an incredible pizza business, but that technology, I think it's really important that we apply that level of technology and data and lessons to independent businesses. For example, taking orders. When Ilir founded Slice, mom and pop shops were taking orders by phone. <laughs> okay, I, I feel like I'm supposed to gasp here or something, but is ordering by phone really all that bad? It's not bad, it's just like it's not efficient. Small business like pizzeria owners don't like answering the phone. Answering the phone may be a bit of a pain, but at the same time, a mom-and-pop shop can't just drop everything and develop its own online ordering platform. That's expensive and time-consuming, and as we all know, time is money. 
as a customer, I think we take websites for granted. Like I, I know I gripe when it's hard to order online because I think that's what I've come to expect. But what I don't always think about is that behind a website is a bunch of complex systems. And that means you have to move from an old school cash register to a computer, which is a big leap for a lot of small businesses, like the ones in Elir's family. So why would a small pizzeria owner set aside phone ordering, something that's worked for decades, if it's so much effort to get into online ordering? In a perfect world, it would be, it would be nice if we could just accept like call-in orders. That's Palos Balai, owner of Motown Square Pizza here in D.C. Palos opened his pizza shop at a food hall last year. They sell most of their pizza by pre-order, and they sell a limited number of pizzas each day. Plus, they're only open three days a week. But most importantly, they don't typically take orders by phone. Because we're in a small staff, uh, our phone number isn't even, it's like posted on our Instagram and somewhere on the website, but it's not in a real obvious place on purpose. Paulus explained to me that he made a choice. Motown Square Pizza is a small company, so he could do online ordering, or he could pay for an additional staff member so that someone was around to answer the phone. Motown Square Pizza couldn't afford both. People call in and they're like, hey, I, I kind of, like they don't might not be used to like online ordering, I guess. And so yeah, we'll walk them through it. I've even like, you know, grab my lap, laptop in case somebody's like come up to the front and I will like type in their order for them. I like put in their credit card for them, things like that. But um, it's just a little tough right now uh, to do that. But in the future, for sure. Palos would love to take as many orders as he can. And as far as I can tell, he has no personal preference for phone versus online ordering. But answering the phone and then entering the order online for a customer, that's just not efficient. Talking to Palos helped me realize this strange spot small pizzerias are in. For a lot of people, like under the age of 25 or so, ordering food delivery has pretty much always been done online. But setting up an online ordering system is expensive, and a lot of businesses simply can't afford to build one like Big Pizza can. So they pay companies like Slice to do it. Or they jump on third-party delivery apps, right? Like, this reminds me of what we were talking about with our American Chinese food episode, where small mom-and-pop restaurateurs kind of have to get on Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash to kind of get in on that pandemic delivery market. Exactly. But it's not like any of these platforms are a perfect solution. And for as many solutions as delivery apps offer, they've opened up this, like, Pandora's box of new problems. Yeah, it scares me. It's been well documented that, you know, these services do take a large chunk of your revenue. And it's not like they're making money either. We live in Arizona. It's the desert. It's hot. And I don't want sushi going into somebody's car being delivered to somebody when I'm not quite sure what number stop my food is. It turns out there actually is demand in the, uh, in the suburbs for convenience. And it's not just a city thing. Next time on Dish City, the promise of delivery platforms, who they work for and who they don't. This episode of Dish City was produced by me, Patrick Fort. And me, Ruth Tam. Our managing producer is Ponce Rutch, and Mike Kidd mixed this show. 
Mana Kashvi is WAMU's chief content officer and oversees everything that we make here. If you loved this episode, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work by leaving us a tip at wamu.org slash support dish city. We're trying to get 50 tips by the end of our season. So any amount counts. Thank you so much. You can email us your questions and stories about food delivery. Our email is dishcity at wamu.org. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at dishcity. See ya. See ya. See ya.